Welcome to the Digital Brand Builder Podcast, where we bring you the best growth strategies from the world's experts to help build your business fast. And now, here's your host, Mark Fidelman. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Digital Brand Builder Podcast. Today, something we've never done, but something I'm extremely interested in, we are going to talk about how to market high ticket item businesses. And just to define that, it's anything over 10,000 per month, if it's more of a SaaS offering or if it's a service or what have you. And the kicker, the kicker is Lloyd Yip, who's joining me as a guest to talk about this, says you could do it without Facebook ads and other ads. And uh, I can't wait to hear what what he has in store for us to to, uh, teach us, hey, you don't need Facebook ads. You don't need maybe other ads, but there is another way. So Lloyd, welcome to the show. Could you give us a quick background on yourself before we jump right in? Yeah, 100%. And before I even go into that, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I'm super excited to speak with your audience, Martha. You've been working so hard to build uh, over the last little bit. But yeah, my background, actually, I come from the enterprise software world. That was my first job out of school, actually, working as a business development representative, grinding, generating meetings for my account executive. You do that for a while, you get pretty good at it. You become an enterprise executive yourself, selling uh, expensive software, which is what I was doing. And we were actually selling to the CMO of Fortune 500 companies. So you tend to learn quite a lot when you're selling to that type of person because um, they grill you and they want to make sure that they're making an ROI whenever they're spending 50K to 100K on a particular uh, purchase. So I, I thought that as a 22-year-old at the time, I was like an amazing learning experience for me. And after you know spending a couple of years there, I started to realize, you know what? Like I, I kind of enjoy working at smaller startups where I had a bit more hands in the cookie jar, so to speak. So I pretty much joined a very early stage company, which is me and the founders at the time. And we scaled up from zero to two and a half million in 18 months. And I was doing a lot of uh, the head of growth stuff. So wearing cup hats, still closing deals, but also like scaling the sales team, scaling the content uh, marketing engine. So that's really where my background was. And I did that for a couple of years, of course. And then after I felt as though I really understood content, automation, technology, hiring, and sales, I felt like it just made sense for me to go off on my own. So that's more or less the story. And uh, of course, since then, uh, my company has been trying to do a lot of different things. And the growth that I've had as a person has been like ridiculous building my own company compared to just being at someone else's. But still, I, I think it all has kind of led to this point. So um, hopefully that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, it does. And we'll, we'll cover a little bit more of your background, including my first question, which is you're a true digital nomad. I mean, uh, you live in Brazil now. Is that where you're doing yeah. your, your business from? Yeah, yeah. So that was always the dream. I I was lucky enough that for whatever reason, my my group of friends from university all became digital nomads. They all like within the first two years of leaving college, they all started their own business. Sometimes they were like building an agency. Another person was doing like a YouTube channel uh, with affiliate marketing. So just like random stuff. And almost all of them ended up succeeding, which is kind of weird because you typically hear that the percentage of success rate for people, it's quite small, but not only were they succeeding, they were like all like entering the seven figures per year mark um, very, very quickly. It was pretty odd. So um, for me, I was like working at my startup 
and I was just getting like pretty massive FOMO, um, feeling very jealous and thinking in my head, like, it's not as though I don't have the skills that they do. If anything, I have almost more because I've been in a rigorous system and working for like other million dollar companies. So that was like a huge motivator for me to just go and um, explore the world and build my own thing. And uh, I'm super grateful that I'm now able to travel and um, learn a new language and just, you know, build a business while actually living a lifestyle that really aligns with me and as a person. Yeah, it's amazing that you're able to pull it off. And I'm sure you've got other people that work for you that are in other parts of the world. So that's, yeah. uh, that, that's the power of the internet for you. Okay, you so go. let's jump right in. Let's define what it is that you're doing. So you're focused on uh, products or services that are over 10,000 a month. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. At and least the for reason our purposes. Why, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why is because I come from a background of specializing in phone call funnels. And well, I guess these days it's more like a Zoom call funnel. Um, but primarily trying to close over the phone. Of course, getting people into the phone call is a different beast and it's a challenge in and of itself. But I find that there's specific tactics that work really, really well if you're able to close on the phone, which is hard to justify if your price point is very low. Um, I think some of the tactics here though will still apply if you are selling a lower ticket offer. Um, so don't necessarily turn this podcast off just because you're maybe selling a very low ticket SaaS that needs a crazy amount of volume on the lead generation side to work. You'll still get some stuff out of it, but I, I do want to be transparent in saying that what I'm about to talk about is like very optimized for a phone call funnel that's selling something higher ticket. Yes. Okay. Now, you know, most companies would say, look, uh, Facebook is great targeting. You know, I use those ads to begin uh, lead generation at the top of the funnel because of the targeting. Maybe I'll go to LinkedIn. LinkedIn's a little expensive right now. Maybe I'll go, uh, you know, at that at that level. Maybe Google, SEM. Why why are you saying you don't need to do it with ads? Is there is there a better way? Yeah. So it's not as though I don't like paid advertising. <laughs> I think it's all part of a well balanced business development and marketing breakfast. But I feel that there are some inherent risks that comes about when you're overly reliant on paid traffic. Um, whether it be on Facebook, there's a lot of compliance challenges that people are running into these days where ad accounts get shut down for no apparent or transparent reason. I um, mean, also, this is at the time of recording, 2021, fairly early in the year, and Apple is making some pretty significant changes in how iOS 14 is going to be run. It's going to make it a lot harder for people to get amazing return because of how tracking is going to be um, much more challenging and potentially much less accurate, right? Uh, and generally speaking, there are just going to be lower profit margins when you are running paid ads because of the fact that you're spending on getting the traffic. Now, this is all fine and good if you have a ton of budget and you have a ton of willingness to experiment and lose money in the first couple of months. But I will say to not also have a very strong foundation of organic marketing and organic revenue coming in that works whether or not your paid marketing is running at full throttle, that will keep you safe. That will allow you to, on a given month where paid advertising isn't working, to still generate a ton of money and revenue. And in the worst case scenario where, for whatever reason, paid just stops working, you're still fine. In the best case scenario, paid works, organic works, but organic revenue will allow you to spend more than paid. So what's not to love there? 
And that's really for me why I think you either want to have organic really built out or maybe even a combination of the two working together um, as a brother and sister. Okay, but how do you do that? I mean, walk us step by step how you do that and, and do it quickly. Or are you saying it's not quick? You've got to start laying the groundwork pretty much when, you know, it's at month one and then, you know, hold your breath for six months until it's realized six months later. I don't think it necessarily has to take a long time. To a degree, it does depend on your internal resources. If you're a team that already has like a pretty sophisticated content engine, it shouldn't take particularly long to get an organic strategy that just kills it for you. But there are some companies that are like super sales focused, for instance, or they just don't have really any content muscle. It does make things quite a lot more challenging. So I'll ask you, Mark, like, do you, do you want us to maybe go through both situations where what do you, what should you do if you're kind of starting with like very minimal resources and how can you scale there? And then maybe we can also look at the flip side of what you can do if you have more resources internally. Well, I would say, you know, the, the companies I work with have anywhere from a million to $10 million uh, marketing budget. And, you know, so they've got access to a lot of resources. It's just how you deploy them in the smartest way possible. And a heuristic for them is, is you know, Facebook ads and other ads. So from, from your perspective, I would say, look, there's an opportunity cost here. I can go with ads or I can go kind of the organic route or I could do both and see what happens. Uh, I'm going to challenge you uh, after you give your organic strategy. I'll, I'll challenge you on a few things to see if uh, you've got a, an answer for that. But let's, let's just start with you got a decent sized budget and now what? Yeah, for sure. So I think the first step is always going to be just identifying which channels make the most sense for you. Um, it's super company specific. Where does your audience hang out? You might have an audience that is primarily like, I'll throw this out there. Maybe you're going after people that are in the fitness industry. Um, that makes a ton of sense to be on Instagram, for instance. But what if you're going after a very B2B market? Then LinkedIn makes a ton of sense, as would Facebook potentially as well, depending on the type of B2B market. So the first step is always going to be identification of which channels make the most sense. And then if you have more resources, I think what is an ideal situation is for you to create an omni-channel, multi-channel strategy for content distribution. So something that would really help is if your team already has an internal content marketer or copywriter, um, it's ideal that they are able to create a content calendar, I think, 30 days in advance and have just a content life cycle where for each of those aforementioned channels, they actually have content just being rolled out on the daily basis. And the thing is, this seems like there would be a lot of work, but all it really takes is one content marketer and one content strategist uh, to be able to flesh this out. When my clients are able to cross pollinate across a lot of channels, their prospects always tell them like, how are you everywhere at the same time? Like you must have an army of people working on it. But in reality, if you have a really solid system in the back end where your content calendar is super organized, where you're able to repurpose content from like, let's say Instagram and LinkedIn together, you're able to repurpose content from YouTube into micro content that you then redisperse into LinkedIn or whatnot. That is really what allows someone to come across as being way more large, if, if you will, than they actually are. So that's something that I think you can do if you are a company that already has some of those resources internally. It's about being efficient, right? Like if you're going to be creating a piece of content, are you able to deploy it 
across multiple different channels in different ways. So that's kind of the first, uh, the first layer. It's the channel selection and then being able to create that content calendar that allows you to distribute content to multiple channels. Okay, so the content calendar I, I live and breathe by, uh, anyone that's ever worked for me knows that. So I, I wholly agree with you there. But when we're talking about products that are over $10,000 a month, what types of content are you creating? Uh, and if you want to use a fitness you know, example, maybe it's a very large piece of equipment that costs over $10,000. I don't know if you want to continue with, that, with this analogy or not, but the point is when you're dealing with that market uh, size, um, you know, maybe it's software or what have you, it's different, isn't it? I mean, the content you create is, is definitely different. So what is it? How do, you, how do you know what that content is? How do you plan for it and how do you deploy it? Yeah, so that's such a good question. And I have a pretty clear delineation between the type of content that I think is effective at the top of the funnel versus at the middle of the funnel and then at the bottom of the funnel. Um, at the top of the funnel, you can't necessarily get someone to consume like a very heavy asset because they don't know you yet. No one's going to be willing to spend 10 minutes uh, of time to read an ebook or check out this full webinar. So at the top of the funnel, you're looking much more so at like bite-sized snackable content. So on LinkedIn, LinkedIn is really loving videos these days. So like snackable bite-sized two minute micro videos on LinkedIn, crush it if you're going after that type of audience. Um, on Instagram, it's actually kind of similar. I, I feel there's a lot of similarities between the Instagram and the LinkedIn content that I see that really kills it um, because it's often more bite-sized. It's uh, the copy is typically not super long because there's word counts on both of those platforms. And I actually find that repurposing content, if you are on both of those channels, works really, really well. But the purpose of the top of the funnel is not to actually convert. And that's a big thing that people need to understand is that not every single piece of content is necessarily meant to convert for a sale or a sales call or a purchase or whatever. Sometimes at the top of the funnel, all the content is meant to do is gain awareness enough that they follow you and become a member in your list. Now, when I say list, could I mean email list? Certainly. But what I really mean when it comes to the social context is they follow you on that, per, uh, that particular social channel where now they're actually gonna be notified whenever you create additional content. So at the top of the funnel, you're looking at much more bite-sized content, which allows someone to even just be in your network where they're gonna see your additional stuff, right? But once someone is in your network, they're in your email list, they're in your LinkedIn network, you can consistently market to them more and for free, of course, now. And this is where you can start promoting some longer form content. And this is the content that really starts getting people to be willing to evaluate because in the beginning, you didn't earn the right yet to borrow 20 minutes of their time for a webinar or a video sales letter or an ebook or whatever. But let's say a month into your relationship, they've been in your list. Now you do have that right. You get them into an asset, which the next step is to actually convert them into a sales call. Or if not a sales call, if they're to even hit that landing page that is storing the asset, then you can at that point run retargeting, which it's still paid ads, but it's like the most efficient and cost effective form of paid ads there is. And I'm super on board with that strategy. But that's the thing. Like, you want to get them to that more lead magnet conversion worthy asset and organic is a great way to do that, but you can't necessarily push that premium asset right from day one. It's got to come from after having first got them into your network with some more awareness focused content from the top of the funnel. Okay. All right. So is there any particular 
mm, channel that you think is really hot right now for putting content on um, other than, well, I mean, it would have to be one of the channels that you see. I guess it would depend on the industry, first of all. But is there something you're seeing a lot more ROI than maybe other channels? Like for me, it's YouTube. There's nothing, nothing for me beats YouTube. Uh, if you're talking strictly organic, YouTube has got two things going for it. One, it's video, which people prefer. Two, it's got SEO value. Uh, so there's, to me, nothing beats it that I've seen organically. I'm not talking ads, uh, organically. But what is your perspective on that? Yeah, so you're hitting the nail on the head. It's super dependent on what the audience, like who the audience is and where they spend a lot of their time. Because I actually think YouTube is super versatile. Almost everyone is on YouTube. It's the second biggest search engine platform in the world behind Google. So there's a lot of uh, advantages there. But like if you're going after a very B2B audience, let's pretend that you're going after HR managers that work at companies $10 million and up. That's a pretty specific, right? LinkedIn will almost always be the best fit for that specific audience. And LinkedIn also does have a lot more organic reach these days because it's not as though Microsoft has really tried to monetize their ad platform yet. You can still really do well on Instagram and on Facebook. You just have to adjust your strategy because posting on your Instagram page or your Facebook page, especially these days, and just hoping that people will show up organically outside of your network and just subscribe, it's pretty unlikely. So if you're going to be doing that, uh, those channels, you really got to invest in Facebook groups. You got to really invest in Instagram shout outs. You got to really invest in understanding how the algorithms work because it's way less likely to just give you free organic traffic now. So that's why when I work with clients, I got to first identify the appropriate channel. And then within each of these channels, we got to identify, okay, what's the best way that you can monetize this specific channel, given the unique set of rules that each of these channels have. Um, but you're asking about like what's really, really hot these days. Clubhouse recently has become really, really hot. I didn't even know that this platform existed three months ago. And now it's all the people's uh, favorite topic in, in my industry. And it's really cool because it's super audio oriented. It's kind of like similar to podcasts in that sense, but it's community audio where like you can have a bunch of people in a room and they're kind of just talking amongst each other. There's no video. It's just like pure audio it's kind of like a, like a networking event, but digital and, you know, strictly verbal and, and stuff like that. It's really cool. I've actually had friends who like jumped on and then within a month they went from zero to like a hundred thousand followers and subscribers with zero paid ads. And it's because like any new social media platform, they're not going to do any paid ads. Of course, they're going to let you grow organically and they're going to pr push your content aggressively. So it makes a ton of sense. It's a very new platform. Um, so there, there's a lot of options. Um, the, the answer was a bit of like, a, you know, it depends. Um, well, but uh, let me, let me, let me, yeah, let yeah. me, okay, good. And, and I like to challenge uh, my guests as you probably aware. So for me, uh, Clubhouse is nice. I think it's uh, very popular right now. They're doing a great job. It only works on the iPhone, uh, but it, they'll get working on Android. That's not my problem. My problem is, yeah. like, is like Snapchat and, and TikTok. It's too hard to get them off that platform to something I want to sell. And, and if they made it easier, like YouTube, is, you could put links anywhere you want. You know, uh, uh, There's no restrictions on that. It's, it's very easy uh, to move people off of YouTube or to embed a YouTube video within a website. So it's, it's just better. If you look at 
even Instagram, although Instagram's got stories now, which is, which is better. It's getting there. If you look at uh, clubhouse, you look at TikTok, you look at Snapchat, still too dang hard for a marketer. Those aren't good tools in my mind, because if you look at click through rates of those platforms versus the ones that are a lot easier, uh, it's not even close. So I don't like those even for B2B. I think you should learn from them. You should participate, but they shouldn't be your primary channels, at least for now. And I would love for somebody to come on and challenge me, by the way, on on how they're using TikTok, how they're using Clubhouse, how they're using Snapchat more effectively than these other channels. And I'm talking organically. I'm not talking with paid. Better than uh, better than YouTube. I still see it as king. Any thoughts around that? Yeah. No, I, I agree with a lot of what you just said. I... I haven't met many people that have really monetized Snapchat or TikTok either. Yeah, I have met a I'm, lot of people who monetize Twitter, um, LinkedIn for sure, super easy yeah. to monetize if you have the right strategy. Facebook, once again, like super easy to monetize with the right strategy. Instagram, I, I have a couple um, uh, friends and, and people that are in the industry that are building multi, multi-million dollar businesses entirely off of Instagram. And of course, they recognize that they should diversify and part of the reason why I know them because they want to diversify across multi-channel. But the reality is I met them at a place where they already were doing multi-million dollars on strictly one channel. Uh, so it's very doable, but I think YouTube, the reason why people struggle uh, to come around to it is because there is this uh, belief that it is much higher production value. Um, it requires a higher production value than some of the other channels that you got to put more work into each piece of content. And to a degree, it is true. Um, no, it's true, but there. it's you. You, yeah. you don't have zero SEO value with Snapchat, TikTok, and Clubhouse. In fact, Clubhouse is even worse because there's no way to record it. it doesn't even sit there. Yeah, uh, at least with yeah. TikTok and, and Snapchat, the content for the most part can can sit there. Uh, so it is searchable with hashtags, or it's searchable on their platforms. With Clubhouse, it all disappears. Yeah, and and so. here is actually what I think is kind of the answer to all of this and once again like when you go omni-channel it's not as though you're trying to create brand new content for every single channel because that would be so inefficient so if if there's one thing that someone who's listening to this can get away um from this podcast is there's like this waterfall of content creation that you can have where if you're starting off with like a more high level premium piece of content which is long form video high production value that one piece of content could very easily just turn into like 10 pieces of content across every other channel, right? Like a YouTube video, let's say it's like an hour long, well-produced video. You can in theory splice that one video up and have it just as like three or four separate videos still on YouTube. And then of course you could put that into your website and then just write a blog post that corresponds with that video and you have it there. Or let's say the video itself is kind of like podcast format-ish. It's an interview. You could very easily now make that a podcast if you want. And with LinkedIn and Instagram being super micro content oriented, you can slice up those videos into even more tiny videos, throw it to your freelance video editor, make it into the caption with the whole, you know, Gary Vee style, um, if that's your vibe. And you can now have it as maybe even five to 10 pieces of content across LinkedIn and Instagram if you want to use both of those channels. And then Facebook being as versatile as it is, you could throw long-form content in, short-form content, video, pure copy, and then the 
promote people to go to those individual assets. So you could very easily take one long form piece of content and then repurpose that into multiple different formats across multiple different channels. And that could be run by pretty much one content marketer who has a small team of freelancers working with them totally on contract. So there is a way that you can make things very, very efficient if you so choose. And this actually isn't even something that only makes sense for high ticket, despite us opening the conversation with this is more for high ticket. Like mm -hmm. this is stuff that will work for anyone, right? If they have yeah. the internal resources and the willingness to do so. So that's why I wanted people to stick around regardless, because even though I primarily help people that are a bit more in the high ticket world, like this content repurposing strategy works across the board for anyone that just wants more reach and awareness. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's so true. In fact, when you look at even vertical video, uh, YouTube is now moving. They won't move, but they'll have an addition to horizontal video. They'll have vertical video with shorts. Uh, so if you haven't had shorts, I encourage you to do your research on it. It's uh, the same thing as TikTok uh, and uh, Instagram, where you can do shoot up to a minute and post a, a vertical video, which shows better on phones. Now, if you're in the U.S., yeah, it, it, you got to do it a special way, and I find it doesn't work that well. But you know, maybe I'm not doing it correctly. In India, it's 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 being utilized uh, almost extensively. There's a whole short app that you could download, but then you could just take that to put it on TikTok, put it on Instagram, so you can repurpose it that way. And now you're on all those platforms. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm a big repurposer. There's so many different things. You could turn uh, some of those videos into 15 seconds sound or video bites and use that to link to the overall video or back to your website or what have you. So that, that's the name of the game, folks, is, is using this organic content, repurposing it across all channels. It's kind of a pain in the ass to set it up with. I wish there was some <laughs> yeah. magic uploader where you could, you could do all at once by entering one set of information, but it doesn't uh, unfortunately work that way. Well, there is a system around it. There is what like is a, a way in which someone could, well, that is something that is much harder to explain in a short podcast, but if you is can it document tool? it, if you're a very, so it's actually just a set of uh, standard operating procedures. So for us, something that it's we utilize internally, exactly. It's more of a process. And then of course, within the process, you might be needing to pull in certain freelancers or you might need to have certain tools that are able to help you with distribution or editing or whatnot. And then of course you want to have someone who just leads the process. And for us, we have a copywriter slash content strategist on staff. So like we've built out the SOP internally, um, even before we ever hired a content writer, because we wanted them to come in with a lot of momentum. And then it's something that we've also eventually had brought to our clients since they want to build like an SOP for themselves of, okay, who should be in this process if we need to build a process like this? Who are the freelancers? How do we repurpose a big piece of content and multiple pieces of content? So that's some of the stuff that we typically like to, you know, have people install into their own business because it can be a bit arduous to, to figure out what all the SOPs should be um, internally yourself. Um, and we just wanted to build a shortcut for both us and also anyone else who is looking for like really digging into content. Okay. So I um, have one last question for you before we wrap up. Yeah. So I know we've been talking about organic content, but why don't we use paid media to promote our top performing organic content? What do you have against that, if anything? Oh, I, I actually don't have anything against that in particular. I earlier in the conversation said that 
utilizing both paid and organic together is probably better than the sum of their individual parts if used correctly. And I always find that organic actually will make your ROAS on a paid campaign better because imagine you're comparing two nearly identical companies with almost everything being the same, except one person drives paid traffic to a lead magnet to a converting into a sales call. And the other person has the same funnel where they drive into that same lead magnet, but instead of just having the lead magnet by itself, they also have like an email going out that gets them into one social channel. And then from that other social channel, they start cross pollinating there. Who's going to win? The person who has more touch points, of course. So the person who's supplementing paid traffic and paid traffic is definitely better at building top of the funnel awareness because you can just scale that more effectively, but middle of the funnel building trust nurturing is almost always going to be better done organically because it's just more trustworthy. And it's also like more frequent once you're in someone's social network. So if you want to like reinforce what you know are your best assets organically with paid, you should definitely do it. I think it makes a ton of sense. And um, if there's one more thing that I would say, if you would allow me, that kind of wraps everything up together is a really strong follow-up process. Because up to this point, we've been primarily speaking about content, right? But yep. one thing that I will say that people often forget about is content by itself isn't enough a lot of the times. What we need to do is also be very, very proactive with our audience. And this is the part that's missing. Um, because let's say you have like 100 people who subscribe to your list across multiple channels. Even if all 100 love your stuff, of them are probably never going to reach out or book a sales call, even if all the links or all the calls to actions are there. That's just how it is. Mm. And it's not as though you really did anything wrong because they like your stuff, but people just don't take initiative because reaching out to a salesperson is kind of a big ask, right? Um, what I really, really recommend for anyone who wants to make content work is to Make your content as good as it can be, but also don't expect the content to convert by itself. Be hyper proactive with following up with the people who engaged. So this is across every channel, whether it be on Instagram, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, email, even instead of just sitting on our hands and assuming that, oh, one day they're going to see enough content that they're going to reach out, just engage people directly in the direct message. Like if, if you make a piece of content on LinkedIn and there's 50 people who, as a result, sent you a connection request, or maybe a hundred people commented saying this was really, really helpful. We should be pri uh, we should be proactively just DMing them and starting a conversation. And this is really where having like a really good appointment setting team or a business development team comes into place because they should be bridging the gap between the real sales team and the marketing team. To me, a business development team who's worth their weight in gold they're milking each an individual lead for every dollar that they're worth, even if the lead has given only a very small faint of interest. But if they're in the email list reaching out to anyone who has converted on, on a webinar and they haven't booked a call yet, they should be on them. If anyone who has joined the LinkedIn network or, uh, or has even just commented, they should be on them like Wed and Rice. So to me, like an appointment setting team and a business development team, who's just like sole focus on extracting additional value from leads that have not booked yet, they can be the glue that holds the entire funnel together. Because otherwise we're expecting people to just like go from content to booking a sales call by themselves. 
it's too big of an ask for most funnels and most situations. So interspersing like a very highly trained BDR team to just be there um, across all those channels and nurturing and massaging, getting people from the next step to the next step to the next step. Sometimes the next step isn't even a sales call. Sometimes the business development rep might talk to someone who's commented on a top of the funnel asset and that person doesn't want a sales call yet, but maybe that person has a problem. The BDR is able to figure that out in the DMs and they send them, all right, you know what? You're not ready for a sales call, but here's this webinar that we also have. They check out that webinar and then the BDR reaches out to them like four days later and then books a call. Mm -hmm. That's probably 70% of my results. If right. I didn't have that team, I have like three salespeople on staff. That's all they do full time. If I didn't have that, but I still had the same level of content that I had, I'm pretty sure my revenue would drop by more than 70%. Yeah. I mean, I, I oh. should do a show on just follow up and uh, showing people, yeah. you know, it's, it's it, top of the funnel is one thing, but what's the rest of it look like? You know, what are the funnels? What's the follow up? What's who do the salespeople need to be? What are their training need to be? What are the metrics around them? I mean, that's a whole nother show, uh, which you gave me a, a, a good idea. We should probably have that relatively soon, but we've got to wrap things yeah. up. Yeah. We're kind of out of time. Uh, Lloyd, it was a pleasure. Great discussion. Thank you for letting me challenge you a little bit. Um, yeah, please. That was awesome. And, and uh, so with that, uh, I want to thank you and maybe, uh, maybe you should come back on and talk about, you know, follow up beyond uh, the top of the funnel. Yeah. That'd be really, really awesome. And, and there's, um, a ton of resources that I also have if you're curious about how to scale organic. Um, so if you want, I can also share some of those links as well. Um, yeah, or I, I can want even you talk to a bit more. Send me, the, send me those links. And then where could people reach you? Your website, how do they reach out yeah. to you on social media, what have you? Yeah, so I'm super active on LinkedIn as well. I have a private Facebook group with over 3,500 other founders and marketers. So that's a really great place for you to just learn a bit more. Um, we also have a couple webinars that are really drilling down into the tactics. Today we went into a pretty good overview, but I think as far as executing within each channel, we didn't have as much of a chance to do that today. And that's something that I have in a couple webinars that I've uh, built out in both the Facebook group and my web, uh, website. But also if someone's just listening to this and they want to have like a very, very quick overview of how they could personally implement organic and they don't want to spend 30 minutes watching a webinar, I do have like a quiz slash assessments um, on my website that anyone can go and check out and it will literally spit out an entirely customized report for you and it'll just take a couple questions. You can finish it in pretty much three minutes for anyone who's just like super short on time. It's at attractandscale.com slash organic. Trying to make the URL super easy to remember. Once again, that's attractandscale.com slash organic. And you can check that out there. But I mean, hey, if you're really bold and you just want to talk to me directly, if you want to prove me wrong that people rarely <laughs> reach out for DMs after having seen just a, you know, a piece of content and you want to book a call with me, um, I can provide that link as well in the case that you know people here just really want to talk to me. But uh, other than that, I'm not expecting it. I have lots of content that you guys can enjoy and be part of my community. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you, Lloyd. Nice talking to you. Yeah, this is really fun. Appreciate that you uh, had me on today.